The following presentation is not suitable for young children. Listener discretion is advised. The Sony Pictures lot in Culver City, California is a monument to Hollywood history. Its history stretches back to 1912, and the original entrance, a historic landmark, still stands on Washington Boulevard. When it was the home of MGM, the lot housed the sound stages where 1939's Best Picture winner Gone with the Wind was shot. The actors playing munchkins in The Wizard of Oz stayed in the Culver Hotel just outside of the lot, which incidentally, they famously turned into a 24-7 bacchanal. But none of this had any effect on Amy Pascal, as she walked into work at 8 a.m. on Monday, November 24, 2014. As the head of Sony Pictures Entertainment, she'd been working on the lot for decades and had seen everything there was to see, all of the glitz and glamour, and all of the ugliness too. She believed nothing could faze her. Until she got into her office that morning and logged into her computer. Instead of her normal desktop, her screen displayed an image of a ghoulish red skeleton with evil eyes and fangs. Above this ominous image were the words, hacked by the hashtag GOP, in large block letters. Overlaid on the skeleton was a message. It read, We've obtained all your internal data, including your secrets and your top secrets. If you don't obey us, we'll release data shown below to the world. At first, Pascal thought this was a joke. But within minutes, she realized that this was deadly serious. She heard from Sony Pictures' CEO and CFO, who confirmed that they'd been hacked, and not by some teenagers on a laptop looking to download the latest Sony Pictures movie. The entire system had been compromised by an organization of hackers who called themselves the Guardians of Peace. 3,500 employees on the Sony lot that day opened their computers to see the red skeleton and the threatening messages. Amy Pascal thought that she'd seen everything, but she was wrong. Sony Pictures was about to face something that no American film studio ever had before. They were under attack by a foreign adversary, and their reaction to the attack wouldn't just affect their company's security or Hollywood as a whole, it would change the direction of the entire country. Because the wrong move might lead to war. On this episode, secret agents, Seth Rogen, and a surprisingly sensitive dictator. I'm Keith Corneluk, and you're listening to a bonus episode of Modem Mischief. You're listening to Modem Mischief, in this series, we explore the darkest reaches of the internet. We'll show you places you won't find on Google and what goes on down there. This is the story of the Sony Pictures hack. For most employees, the morning of November 24, 2014 was a relatively normal Monday morning at the Sony Pictures lot in Culver City. One of the offices on the Sony lot was Point Grey Pictures, the company founded by Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. Only Goldberg was in the office that day, overseeing a busy slate that included developing a sequel to their hit movie Neighbors and writing an animated movie titled Sausage Party. Most pressingly, the company was finalizing the editing of a farcical comedy about an American journalist traveling to North Korea called The Interview. The movie was already controversial. In June, the government of North Korea declared that the movie was an act of war. 
In an official statement by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the North Korean government threatened decisive and merciless countermeasures against the United States if the film was released. Goldberg and Rogan essentially laughed off the threats, but Sony did decide to delay the movie until December and re-edited portions of it to be less offensive to the North Koreans. In one particular instance, Goldberg and Rogan went back and forth with Sony on a climactic scene in which the film's version of Kim Jong-un explodes. In an effort to avoid further controversy, Sony required that they show a far less bloody version of Kim's head exploding than Rogan and Goldberg wanted. Even with the issues, the interview was set to be released on Christmas Day 2014, barely a month away. On that Monday morning in late November, Goldberg's workday was interrupted. A stressed-out member of his editorial staff suddenly rushed in and told him to turn off the Wi-Fi on all his devices. When Goldberg asked why, the staff member replied, Sony just got hacked. But it all seemed like an odd quirk more than anything else. The computer network was down, but work continued. Instead of computers, Goldberg and others used whiteboards, paper memos, and landlines. Some set up temporary emails. They believed it would be a temporary situation, a one-day inconvenience that would make for an interesting little behind-the-scenes story one day. Even to the Sony executives who had more information, the computer hacking situation, despite the dramatic red skeleton and strange blackmail threat, seemed like a temporary concern. Studio head Amy Pascal didn't think this situation was gravely serious. She continued about her schedule for the day and didn't let the ominous message bother her. She and other Sony executives assumed that the studio's technical staff and security would take care of the situation easily. But in the back of their heads, they still thought about the blackmail message. In the message, a group who called themselves the GOP, or Guardians of Peace, threatened to release all of their data if their demands weren't met by 3 p.m. Pacific time. Sony's main executives met in the soundstage where Gene Kelly had once filmed Singing in the Rain and considered their options. One thing was clear, they had no intention of engaging with the hackers in any way. They weren't going to cancel any movies or fall to any demands. They didn't even know if this wasn't just all a prank. Despite the uncertainty, they decided to let the 3 p.m. deadline pass. They would simply return to their normal workdays, wait for the system to go back online, and act as if nothing had happened. And that's exactly what they did. But even as they went back to their normal workdays, Sony executives couldn't help but wonder, what would happen when the deadline passed? What were these hackers capable of? 3 p.m. came and went, and nothing happened. There were no further attacks on Sony's system, and no more messages from the mysterious hackers. For the moment, all was quiet in Culver City. Pascal and the other executives assumed that they were out of the woods. The next morning, Sony employees arrived on the lot were greeted with a letter from Amy Pascal and Michael Linton thanking them for their work during the turbulence and uncertainty of the previous day. But later that day, the hackers responded. Five unreleased Sony movies suddenly appeared on torrenting sites, including the war movie Fury and the remake of Annie. They'd been stolen right off Sony's servers and were already being downloaded by thousands of people across the globe. The message warning them about the stolen data wasn't bluffing. The hackers were inside Sony's system and had no compulsions about sharing what they found with the world. 
The hacking saga was far from over. In fact, it was just the beginning. On November 25th, Sony circled the wagons. They hired a team of outside cybersecurity experts who flew in from all over the country that day and arrived in Culver City ready for battle. The FBI were also notified and became involved in investigating the breach. They were ready to go to battle, even if they had no idea who they were actually going up against. It was a war on multiple fronts. First, Sony had to get their own system back online, which proved increasingly difficult. The hackers had not only stolen the data, but they'd also basically destroyed the system itself on their way out. Every computer connected to the Sony system on the lot was effectively useless. Secondly, they needed to keep all of this from leaking. Sony didn't want anyone outside of the company to know just how compromised they really were. If others knew that Sony was hacked, it might cause panic and possibly entice other hackers to break into other studios. It could finally become open season on the entire Hollywood system. Finally, and most importantly, Sony had to figure out who had hacked them in the first place and somehow stop them from releasing anything more. For the next few days, it seemed as though Sony might have it under control. No more films were leaked on the internet for the rest of the week and their tech experts slowly brought the computer system back online. But that weekend, the mysterious hackers sent another digital shot across the bow. On Saturday, November 29th, several journalists across Hollywood received a strange email from the hackers who claimed to be behind the Sony attack. The email included a link to a publicly shared cache of stolen data, including a spreadsheet with salaries of all Sony employees. On Monday, December 1st, the first story reporting on the leaked data hit the internet. The main point of the article was about the pay gap between the male and female Sony executives, but the buried lead was that Sony's leaked data was now online for all to see, if they knew where to look. And the feeding frenzy began. Over the following days, the hackers released millions of confidential Sony documents and emails onto the internet. The leaks included social security numbers and other private information from Sony employees. But most salaciously, hackers also released the emails of Sony executives, most prominently studio head Amy Pascal. All of her dirty laundry was exposed. Journalists who dug deep into the leaked emails discovered numerous embarrassing tidbits, like how Pascal's weekend trip to the Washington DC premiere of Fury cost the studio over $66,000. The leaks also revealed her and other executives' petty grievances and snarky attitude towards their most famous colleagues. In one email, Pascal called Leonardo DiCaprio despicable, and in another, she speculated that Aaron Sorkin was sleeping with Molly from Molly's Game. In one message, a Sony executive called Kevin Hart a whore. In one particularly noticeable instance, Pascal and high-profile producer Scott Rudin sent a series of jokey emails to each other where they riffed on what movies President Barack Obama's liked, and only listing movies with African-American stars like 12 Years a Slave and The Butler. But as gossip columns and entertainment journalists had a field day with these revelations, the rank-and-file employees at Sony were terrified. Their personal information was in the leaked data, including names, birth dates, social security numbers, and even sensitive financial information. 
One Sony employee discovered that someone had tried to use her leaked credit card number to buy handbags. Another found that someone had applied for a credit card using his bank account information. To deal with their panicking workforce, Sony set up help desks around the lot, where employees could get support with identity fraud and protection. FBI agents were on hand to offer their guidance. Sony had the best cybersecurity that money could buy, and the assistance of the federal government of the United States. But still, nothing could be done to stop the deluge of stolen information that continued dropping day after day. On December 8th, two weeks after the initial attack, the hackers sent another message to Sony executives. This time, they were far more pointed. They had a single specific demand. The hackers had told Sony to stop immediately showing the movie of terrorism which can break the regional peace and cause the war. Everyone at Sony knew exactly what movie they were referring to. The Interview The upcoming film from the writers of Superbad was now the most controversial movie in the history of the studio. Amy Pascal dropped everything and hopped on a phone call. She needed to talk to the two people responsible for the interview. Everything was in the balance. Sony Pictures, the entire Hollywood system, and even world peace. And it was all because of Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. The Kim family, rulers of the Hermit Kingdom of North Korea, have always loved movies. Kim Jong-il, father of Kim Jong-un, first made his mark on North Korea when he ran the government's official motion picture and arts division, producing propaganda films during the 1960s and 1970s. He even masterminded the kidnapping of a South Korean filmmaker and actress and forced them to make propaganda movies of his own choosing, including an infamous Godzilla-inspired monster movie. These quirks of the North Korean regime made them great fodder for satire, which is exactly why Rogan and Goldberg decided to make a comedy about them. And it's also what makes them unpredictable and dangerous. When Kim Jong-un succeeded his father as supreme leader in 2011, he inherited his father's love for movies. According to some reports, he was a big fan of Jackie Chan as a kid. But as a dictator of North Korea, Kim had more important things on his mind, like making sure his regime and his position of supreme leader was secure. To him, the movie The Interview, an American comedy which made Kim himself both the villain and the butt of the joke, was an insult. He couldn't stand to see himself portrayed as an incompetent, developmentally arrested, Katy Perry-loving caricature as played by Randall Park. He believed that an insult to him was an insult to his regime and an insult to his country. So Kim Jong-un needed to take the movie and Sony down. By mid-December of 2014, it appeared that he'd gotten his wish. Sony was under siege from all sides. The hackers continued leaking embarrassing documents, causing Amy Pascal to be in the crosshairs of entertainment journalists for her salacious and sometimes offensive emails. On top of the jokes about President Obama, many of the leaked messages were more problematic because they offended prominent industry figures, like an email from Scott Rudin to Pascal in which he called Angelina Jolie a minimally talented spoiled brat. Other prominent directors, actors, and producers who worked with Sony found themselves pulled into the scandal's orbit when their own emails with Pascal found their way onto the internet. 
Meanwhile, a group of former employees sued Sony, accusing the company of failing to adequately defend their data and exposing personal information. On December 16th, the danger went from virtual to very real when the hackers sent another email to Sony. They wrote, Remember the 11th of September 2001? We recommend you to keep yourself distant from the places at that time. If your house is nearby, you'd better leave. There was no ambiguity in this message. The hackers were now threatening violent terrorism against Sony. Seth Rogen and James Franco's media appearances in New York promoting the interview were abruptly halted. Security guards were sent to the homes of anyone involved in the movie just in case. The premiere screenings were canceled out of an abundance of caution. And on December 17th, the final shoe dropped, when Sony officially announced that they were canceling the release of the interview entirely. The hackers got what they wanted. In Pyongyang, Kim Jong-un was likely pleased. The Americans tried to make fun of him, and they paid the price. Later that night, the hackers sent Sony another message commending them for their decision to cancel the release, a decision they called very wise. But they also wanted more. They wanted assurances that the movie would never be released, theatrically or on DVD. They also demanded that all evidence of the movie be destroyed, all promotional material pulled, and all trailers wiped from the internet. They wanted it to look like the movie never existed in the first place. On the morning of December 19th, the FBI announced that after an analysis of the malware involved, they could confirm that North Korea was behind the hack. U.S. political leaders didn't mince words. The Secretary for Homeland Security described it as an attack on freedom of expression. The White House said it was considering a proportional response. Senator John McCain called it an act of war. When Barack Obama stepped up to the podium in the White House press room on the morning of December 19th, everyone in the room knew he was going to talk about the hack of Sony Pictures Entertainment. The FBI had just announced that hackers working for North Korea were responsible, and political leaders in both parties were already decrying the cyber attack as an act of war. No one knew exactly what the president was going to personally say on the matter, but his statement could have massive effects on both Hollywood and the world. The very first question of the press conference was about the Sony hack. Seth Rogen, Evan Goldberg, Amy Pascal, and other Sony figures watched with bated breath as a reporter asked if Sony made the right decision when they canceled the release of the interview. The president began by expressing his sympathies for what Sony and its employees had been through. And then he said, I think they made a mistake. Obama continued, saying that he worried that canceling the movie set a bad precedent and that an American company should not be censored by a foreign dictator. It was just what Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg wanted to hear. With the president's support, Sony looked for other ways to release the movie. Sony executives reached out to Google's executive chairman. If anyone could release a movie on short notice and be unafraid of taking on a cybersecurity attack, it was Google. Google agreed to release the movie on YouTube. On Christmas Eve 2014, the interview was released to the world. In the first four days, it was rented or bought two million times by viewers around the globe. Meanwhile, some independent theaters were unafraid of the risk and decided to show the movie on their screens. In a matter of weeks, the interview was the best-selling movie ever released online. The hackers had lost. In the years since, some have doubted that North Korea was really responsible for the hack. 
Some even suggested it was an inside job by someone at Sony with a grudge. Even Seth Rogen has doubts that North Korea was truly responsible. But the United States government stands by their assessment. In September of 2018, the Justice Department formally charged one North Korean citizen with computer fraud and wire fraud in connection with the hack of Sony Pictures. North Korea claims the hacking suspect doesn't exist. Regardless of the true culprit behind the hack, the effects of the attack reached far beyond just one Seth Rogen comedy. In the years since, more and more high-profile movies have followed the interview's footsteps and been primarily released online. In the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, studios knew they could fall back on the online distribution model because of the interview's success years before. The Sony hack was a cutting-edge attack against one of the oldest and most storied Hollywood studios, but it may have also sparked a revolution in Tinseltown and spurred the arrival of a new, modern movie industry. I'm Keith Corneluk, and this is Modem Mischief. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of Modem Mischief. Your support keeps this show, which is an independent production, in business and turning out these episodes. And we're grateful as all hell for you. Modem Mischief is brought to you by Mad Dragon Productions and is created, produced, and hosted by me, Keith Corneluk. This episode is written and researched by Ryan Lee, mixed and mastered by David Swope, a.k.a. the Massachusetts Mastering Madman. The theme song, You Are Digital, is composed by Computer Bandit. For more information about the show, go to modemmischief.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, at Modem Mischief, and slide into our DMs once in a while. Thanks for listening.